0: you have to try Miro today. To show you how powerful it is, I created my own Miro board that you can check out at Miro.com slash It has a ton of resources for entrepreneurs, but it will also show you all the functionality of Miro. So go to Miro.com or go to Miro.com slash success pod for a ton of resources. Try Miro today. It's going to radically change how you collaborate with your team. How does a company like PepsiCo create true value and start to move the needle on what the perception of a company actually is?
1: The beauty of these big corporations is the scale that they have and their ability to have an impact to reach as many people as possible. Now TV.
0: He is PepsiCo's first ever chief design officer. In the past eight years, him and his team have won over 1,100 design and innovation awards. He's been recognized with several personal awards, including Fortune's 40 Under 40, GQ Italia's 30 Best Dressed Men. I really
1: think that if we focus everything we do on this idea of human beings, we can really create an amazing value for our companies, but it shouldn't be the reason that drive us. The reason that drives us should be the fact that we need to do it because our society needs it.
0: Talk to me about the human side of innovation. What is the human side of innovation?
1: There are, first of all, two dimensions of this humanity in the world of innovation. The first dimension is the...
0: Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. The Success Story Podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Now, the HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible podcasts like My First Million, hosted by Sam Parr and Sean Purry. They interview some of the most incredible business leaders, Alex Ramosi, Sophia Amoruso, Hassan Minhaj, who share their journey to success and how they made their first million. On a recent episode, they featured the Acquired Podcast hosts, Ben Gilbert and David Rosenthal, to discuss how they scaled their multi-million dollar podcast. Don't sleep on My First Million. If you want to get inspired, if you want to learn from the best, you got to tune into My First Million wherever you listen to your podcast. Today, my guest is Mauro Porcini. He is PepsiCo's first ever chief design officer. In the past eight years, him and his team have won over 1,100 design and innovation awards. And in 2018, PepsiCo was recognized by fortune in its driven by design list. He was previously 3M's first Chief Design Officer, and he's been recognized with several personal awards, including Fortune's 40 Under 40, GQ Italia's 30 Best Dressed Men, and Fast Company's 50 Most Influential Designers in the United States. In 2018, Porcini was awarded a knighthood by the President of the Italian Republic. Now... We spoke about creativity, we spoke about curiosity, we spoke about ethical business, forced change via COVID, human centricity, design and innovation thinking, creating true value and how to build a life around Maslow's hierarchy of needs and true happiness.
1: I am Italian, as you can hear from my heavy accent Uh, and I was born 47 years ago in in a town called Gallarate in the north of Italy, close to Milan, from a a beautiful, humble family um, that uh, since I was a child gave me these two values as the most important values that you should focus on. The first one was the idea of culture knowledge, knowing things. The second one was the idea of uh, being a nice person, being kind, being good to others. Uh, for my parents that will translate in the idea of being Catholic but obviously uh, those values transcend completely any kind of faith or religion and they apply to any kind of person. My parents will see fame and success and wealth actually as threats that will deviate you from being a nice person from the stability of a certain kind of life so this is the kind of people that somehow uh, educated me in the early part of my journey um, my father was an architect he's an architect and but but his passion was painting and so i i would be there as a child and still today as an adult observing him painting every single day of his life. My mother was working in finance, but she was forced to the line of work from her grandfather because she needed to go uh, to work right away. And that's what she started to do. But at 38, she left to be close to her family. Uh, and she focused all her life in writing. She loved writing and translating her thoughts in poems and in prayers also. And together, my father and my... Uh, mother, over the years, published eight books by themselves, self pu- self-publishing, online, using tools that were totally not comfortable to use for themselves, uh, without selling a copy of those books, literally you know, publishing them and printing them for them and their friends and families. And so this is what inspired me early on in the journey, that I did my own mistakes, I, I went in different directions, I experimented, I tried all kinds of things. And later on in life, I realized how important it was what they taught me back then, and how today uh, those kind of values are the pillar of the person that I became. And and so, uh, back then uh, I had this uh, inspiration of a mother working in the world of literature, a father passionate about the world of art, and I was writing and painting myself, and it was coming pretty well to me, I was pretty good at doing those things and and so my dream as a child was to become either a writer and author of books or a painter and I ended up becoming a designer completely by coincidence and one of the reason is that as I said at the beginning I was coming from a humble family we didn't have a lot of money so it was already a miracle they could, they could send me to university by the way public university not paying a penny for it uh, but even the fact that you had to spend five more years without having an income was a sacrifice for my family. and, and therefore there was all the pressure to get a job as soon as we we'll get I, I will get my degree. And so the two words of art and being a writer were probably not you know, the words that at least my parents were seeing as the most you know concrete and the ones where you can get you know, a stable income. And so I decided to go for architecture because somehow it was a little bit more concrete and was combining a little bit of the art and the humanistic approach to what you do uh, with something again that could give me eventually a job. But just a few weeks before I do the exam to enter the Faculty of Architecture at Polytechnic of Milan, I bumped into another thing that Polytechnic was doing. Uh, Essentially, a friend of mine from high school calls me one day. I remember the day as it is today, I describe it in the book as if it was literally yesterday, today. And he, he tells me: look, there is a new faculty called Disegno Industriale, Industrial Design, that the Polytechnico is started just last, last year. I'm thinking I'm gonna do the exam for that, and you know, the admission exam, and let's see how it goes. So intrigued by these two words, industrial design. Design was talking to me about art and creativity and innovation, uh, something I really loved. And industrial was making it more concrete, more tangible. It was a new faculty, so there were more opportunities eventually to find a job after uh, I, I will get a degree. So here I am, I go, I try the exam, and I get, I become first, I get first in out of thousands of people. And so I was like, okay, maybe this is, my destiny. What, and I what do you think? What do
0: you think? What do you think? What do you think allowed you to be first? Like you don't, don't have. To, I see today. I have no clue.
1: I really don't know. <laughs> like, like, look, at school, I was doing well, very, very well. Uh, I so I don't know. There was a little bit of natural talent. Maybe I, I, I really don't know. But, you know, to get first is not that easy. Um, I really don't know. I really don't know. But uh, that's what happened. Um, And maybe, maybe, maybe it was, you know, it's the first time they asked me something like this and when you were asking, I started to think. Maybe it's that curiosity uh, that pushed me to investigate the world already when I was a child and read a lot and and talk to people. And back then, my father uh, gave me a camera when I was eight years old and I would go with my bicycle everywhere and take pictures everywhere. And I remember always taking this camera with me. And today we have social media, we have Instagram, we have all these different platforms. and, And by definition, a lot of people are there with their phones ready to capture an interesting moment that they can share online. I do it all the time. I post every day. And, you know, when you do something like this, even today, especially today, that kind of platform and that kind of tool push you to try to be curious, to try to catch, you know, that moment that is unexpected, unusual behaviors of people, interesting sites, you know, whatever you do, Uh, amazing experiences that you can share with the world. Well, I had that kind of curiosity since I was a child because of my camera.
0: They set up that link for all Success Story podcast listeners. That is a no-risk free trial at backblaze.com slash story. Seriously, back up your stuff. slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get twenty percent off is to go to joindelete.me.com/success and enter code success at checkout. j o i n d e l e t e m e .com/success. I want to thank Belay for sponsoring today's episode. They provide solutions that all of us need. They help us get back more of our time because time is the most precious resource. A lot of you listening that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S to 55123 to learn more and get started. I
1: love to take pictures and I love to share them with others and I love to share stories of those pictures or even stories in general. That was the other element. You know, when I talk about that, that, that the passion for the world of art and the world of literature, I think they were manifestation of something different. They were the manifestation of this passion for, the, for everything is visual. And everything you can write but once again those are platforms for this desire that people may have to tell stories i always wanted to tell stories i've been always somehow a communicator and so those stories could be told through a picture it could be told to something that you write later on i realized that you could tell stories through a product through a brand to anything you do in life i think the success of what i was able to build a 3m and then in PepsiCo with the thousands of designers I've been working with over the years, is also driven by the fact that we're not just designing products and brands and driving innovation, but we've been able also to tell the story of what we were doing. And these kind of stories have been exciting. The CEOs of these companies, the executive teams, our own designers in-house, the ones we attracted to the company, there is this dream, first of all, this vision, and then this ability to share and story-tell these stories. And the people that have been hiring over the years somehow had that ability or that passion and desire also to tell stories themselves. So it was not, obviously it's not being just about me, but about the entire team. And so this idea, you know, combining curiosity, ability to dream and desire to share stories, somehow nurture your know-how grow your culture and so i'm psychanalyzing myself while i'm talking and maybe one of the reasons why i did well in that test was that i learned a lot through that process very early on without even realizing you help me with this question (laughs) i love it a little bit of myself
0: i love it well (laughs) listen this is what we have to do we have to like dive deep into your mind because you've you when when you're chief design officer at pepsico when you've uh, when you've worked with 3M, um, when you've worked with some of the largest brands in the world, there's there's some reason as to why you're so successful, in the and the lens at which you look at the world, and you look at brand, and you look at product, and you look at design, you look at innovation. This is what has allowed you to be successful. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to understand, and we're sort of understanding that it was like it was this curiosity, it was this thing that was built into you from a very young age, that probably was a common thread throughout your career and of course has evolved and expanded, but this is what's let you be successful repeatedly. This is what allows you to work with one of the largest companies in the world telling their product story and telling their company's story.
1: Yeah. And look in the, in the book and in everything I do every day in the companies, the characteristics that I just mentioned are part of the key traits of the people we, we look for and we hire and we grow inside the organization. I mentioned curiosity, I didn't mention curiosity randomly. I, it's the first time I associated it to what happened back then and to that test. But curiosity is something that we celebrate all the time. It's one of the key traits of these innovators I talk about in the book. It's one of the key criteria that we use when we hire people, but also when we grow them inside the organization. For a simple reason, curiosity is that inner desire and passion for learning that makes you look at the world with uh, wonder, with the eyes of a child, with that with the wonder typical of the children. And and you know, I saw these traits in so many incredible innovators I met uh, over the life, over my life these are people often they saw everything they've been traveling all around the world they tried all kind of things and and you see them no matter all the background all that experience they're still able to get excited about something they look at the details of the behavior of people of the way they dress the way they eat what they read uh, everything is able to spark that uh, inspiration that uh, that excitement and is all driven by that curiosity and they're not afraid of that curiosity how many people at a certain point reach fame and success and great titles and wonderful positions and they think that they need to show the world that they know it all because they're there they're up there they're CEOs they're business leaders they, you know, they're successful and they need to show that they don't need to learn more and so they stop being as curious as probably they were before, you know, with the curiosity that drove them to where they are. And they stop, even if eventually they would love to learn more, even if eventually they still have some instinct to ask questions and try to figure out something. But they're afraid to show the counterpart, the people in front of them, the people surrounding them that they may not know something. How many people we, you know, I met in my life that in these positions, they don't ask questions anymore because they need to show the world that they know it all and the reality is that already socrates thousands of years ago told us all that the wise man and woman the real you know the one that really understand things are the one that know of not knowing anything you know know of not knowing anything means that essentially the more you learn the more you grow the more you understand the more you realize there were literally fragments in the universe. There is so much that we can learn. And you realize how small you are. And, and, and this is phenomenal. But it's important to have another characteristic of these innovators, these leaders that I talk about in the book. And that's optimism. Because you, if you're not an optimistic person, the more you realize, the little you know, and the potential that is out there, the more you, you may get demotivated and demoralized. and we're like, oh my God, I mean, I I would never, I I just can't do it. And this translates in your projects and the things that you can do. The more you have vision, the more you realize how you can change a company, how you can drive innovation in a project, how you can change an industry, the more, if you're optimistic, you get excited by this, because you see the potential, you keep going, no matter the roadblocks and the difficulties, but if you're not, that kind of person. If you are pessimistic, if you are not able to get energy out of the potential, then you go the opposite direction. You give up because the, the challenge is to be.
0: Just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, if you're growing a business, you've got a ton on your plate. You need more leads. You need to close deals faster. You need to get better insights to connect with your customers. You need a CRM, one that works from day one, gives your teams a central source of truth and helps them do more faster. That's why you need HubSpot. HubSpot is an all-in-one CRM platform that will accelerate your business growth without slowing down efficiency. With thousands of customizable tools like ad tracking, social media management, and an AI content assistant, your teams will have everything they need to convert prospects to qualified leads. Plus, you can customize your CRM with apps and integrations that meet the needs of your business at any stage. So as your business grows, HubSpot CRM grows with you get started for free today at hubspot.com. Can I can I ask you, because I find that even the title to so the book he wrote, The Human Side of Innovation, it's interesting because when I think innovation incorrectly, I only think of how do I innovate the product. I don't think of design. I don't think of creativity. I don't think of brand. I'm like, How do I build something better than what already exists? But that's incorrect because that's not how people... That's not how people purchase That's not how people communicate. People need a story behind the product. It's not just function and utility. There's always a story. Now, whether or not it's something you create or whether or not, if you don't create it, then the, then the customer is going to create a story in their head about that product. So talk to me about the human side of innovation, the side that we should focus on, that you've built your entire career around. What is the human side of innovation? What is, how does design and innovation intersect?
1: Look, there are first of all, two dimensions of this humanity in the world of innovation, and and they are somehow clarified in the subtitle. People in love with people. The first dimension is the second people in this sentence, essentially the fact that we need to refocus all our innovation, innovation efforts on the human being, on creating value for people, real value, not value for the company, economic value value for people first. We can talk uh, more later about what I really mean with that. But the second dimension is the first set of people, the innovators, the entrepreneurs, the designers of the world. And love somehow summarize everything that these people do for the other people. Uh, Why design? I mean, and this is the big misunderstanding about the word design in our society. A lot of people think that design is aesthetic, Somebody think that is form and function. When we're lucky, you start to associate the aesthetic factor to the function. Uh, design can be applied to different dimensions. You study industrial design or product design, you design products. Uh, you study brand design and communication, you design packaging, communication pieces. Eventually more and more there is the digital world. You design fashion, you design clothing. So you can apply design to different kind of substrates, to different kind of objects and solutions and and experiences and brands. But in general, the designers, they all do one thing. This is what you study at school. At school, they teach you to observe people, understand their needs, their wants, their frustrations, their dreams, and figuring out solutions for them. This is the number one focus. That's why, for instance, at design school, we don't call these people consumers. We don't care about them consuming our products or buying our products. We call them people, eventually eventually, users, because we focus on the, the use of our products. But what drives us is not to sell them stuff. Is to create value for them. Now, these needs, all of them, all together, the needs of humanity, can be summarized and decodified in the Maslow Pyramid. From the bottom, uh, physiological needs, safety needs, all the way to the middle, uh, self-expression, sense of belonging, connecting with others, all the way to the top of the pyramid, transcending yourself, something bigger than you. The summary of all these needs creates what we call happiness. If we fulfill all these needs from the bottom to the top, we reach our happiness. And this is our life, our journey in life is to reach the kind of happiness. So designers essentially are trained as school to create fragments of this broader social happiness. If the world would be driven by designers and not by business leaders and not by other kind of profiles, we would have a happy world. Now, designers are also taught a school that on top of this dimension of the human being, what we call desirability, you need to consider two other dimensions for your product to go to market. Because at the end of the day, designers create products that are uh, producible in scale and you can sell. Else they're artists and it's another kind of discipline. So there are two dimensions, additional dimension, feasibility, So you need to understand technology, science, data, you know, to make these things a reality. And then viability. You need to understand the business model. And so these three pillars are the pillars of design thinking. Desirability, viability and feasibility. The human factor, technology and business. Or translated in the vernacular of these companies, big and small, is what these companies call innovation. Or eventually, if the desirability is the primary focus over the other two variables, this is human-centered innovation. So design is nothing else than the only education, the formula to drive innovation. There is nothing else. If you study business, you study the viability part, eventually they they teach you something about the desirability component, even though they look at that as a Again, a lever of the marketing mix, a lever to succeed, but not the only one. You may succeed with a very mediocre product because you are able to use the other levers in a great way and you are still a successful business leader. Um, But they don't teach you mathematics, physics, material science, you know, hardcore technology. If you study technology, if you study chemistry or biology or engineering, they don't teach you the human factor, anthropology, semiotic, human science. So, in design school, they teach you these three dimensions. The problem is that then all these designers get out of school and they go in companies, and companies track them in a, in a very niche definition, job description. They ask them to be aesthetic, stylist, to design the aesthetic of a product. And again, sometimes, if you're lucky, it's form and function, but rarely they're leveraged for what they can really do. And so, one year two years five ten fifteen twenty of these at the end of the day also these designers forget what they learn and school and they lose their way some of them try to change the system the dreamers you know this is what happened to me i was like a naive dreamer at 27 i entered 3m in italy in the periphery of the american empire i was not hired in saint paul minnesota i was hired in italy as a design coordinator for the consumer business, it was one of the six businesses of the company just for Europe. So imagine it was anyway a small part of the big business. And here I am with this dream of changing the way 3M does innovation, leveraging design thinking, infusing human centricity. Obviously, it was a nice dream. You know, and I, I say this in the, in the book. If you don't have a dream, you ne- you'll never be able to make it come true. And so you need a dream, and a dream is by definition naïve at the beginning. And by definition, you'll face so many people that will try to stop you from dreaming. They will laugh about your dream. They won't understand your dream. But the real innovator is the one that keeps pushing, no matter all this resistance from the system, but also trying to connect the dream with the reality of the business, of the process of the company, of the uh, reality they live in. This is what they do they combine the dream with execution and operations
0: so have you now as, as you've as you've grown in your career have you especially at Pepsi almost reimagined the place that design has in a business is that what you're doing right now
1: yeah look uh, both at 3m and PepsiCo um, design didn't exist in this company so I created the capability from scratch so by definition I it was my role to reimagine what design could mean in those companies. But my mission, transcends 3M first and PepsiCo now, I always look at these companies as, as unbelievable platforms to give me access to billions of people and resources to push something that is bigger than the company itself. And my dream, you know, we have been talking a lot about my childhood. My dream as a child, at the end of the day, it was always the one of, creating something that could touch the life of people, that could create some value into the life of people. For instance, my dream of writing books, you know, the idea of creating something that could touch the imagination of people, and could be there, and could be there also when I was gone, when I was dead. You know, I would read all these books of people that were not there, you know, existing anymore. I was like, wow, you know, that, that was fame for me. The fame driven by culture and the fame driven by impact in the life of people, you know, in in your heart, in your soul. So I was always driven and that's why by by this idea. And that's why I told you when I started Design University, I realized that it was something I always wanted to do, but I didn't know a school existed for that. And so here I am in these corporations and the first meta dream, the big dream has been for years the one of somehow adding value to the life of people, touching the life of people. When you design something, you impact the life of people. You add a moment of convenience, of style, of fun, of safety to the life of people, depending on what you do. But in a way or the other, if you are driven by the right purpose, you are creating value into the life of people. For sure, you are touching the life. If you are driven by the right values, you are creating positive value. Or you can make the life of people very difficult or complex or, you know, uh, in a variety of different ways. You can make a nightmare, you know, eventually, even in the life of people. So we have a big responsibility as companies and designers, entrepreneurs and innovators in this world to touch the life of people and create a kind of value. That was the big meta dream. The second uh, dream is the one of driving, for instance, through the platform of PepsiCo, values like sustainability and wellness, personalization, to really create something focus on you and what you need and what you want that makes sense for you. Uh, and, and, and then, more recently, I realized another value that comes out of uh, the book in a very powerful way, I think, because I really believe in it and I talk about this all the time, that is this human-centricity, but really talking about the humans behind these companies, these brands, these tools, these processes, and especially certain values that people don't talk about enough, like the power of kindness, the power of people in love with people that is subtitle of the book, the power of optimism that we talk about, the power of curiosity, the power of a series of skills that often you don't look for in people, in companies. Sometimes, actually, you do the opposite. In companies, often, you know, and you see it in the literature of management, in the coaching that is done, you know, to business leaders, often you look for the opposite of kindness. You want people to be tough, to be a little bit, you know, rough eventually, to put people against each other, to extract as much value as possible out of them. And what I'm trying to do instead in PepsiCo, what we've been pushing, the kind of things we're creating. They're all based on this idea of kindness and love. Is the filter number one before anything else. And this is official. This is not a nice thing to do for a book and you put it in a book and you're going to sell the book for this. No. This is a criteria officially, officially given to our human resources to find the people we're looking for. And kindness, being a good person, is criteria number zero. I call it zero meaning. That is before the first one. You know, it's the first thing we need to look at is this and then everything else comes. And so when I realized that all of this can also create financial value for this company, can drive productivity, efficiency and quality, I was like, wow. And I have a platform with hundreds of thousands of people following me in social media. I was like, wait a second. This should be my mission as well. I want to push this because I know it works. And it can work for so many other people and not just for your company. And it's the reason why probably many people would embrace that. But if those companies embrace that, this will work for our society. We we'll create a better world, a better society. And so it became really probably number one mission for me today. And it's funny and I will close my mom when I was a kid and, and, and we'll talk always with a priest of my parroquia, of my neighborhood. And both of them, they dreamed for me to become a priest. And the reason was that they thought I could be a great ambassador of the values of Christianity in the world. Because I was like, you see me now, you know, I love to talk. I was a storyteller already when I was a child. And so it's funny because I found myself, I went in all kinds of directions in my life, experimenting all kinds of things and going wild and really in this myth of the extreme experimentation. And here I am many years later doing exactly what my mom was expecting me from, was expecting from me.
0: Mothers know that's why. (laughs) But,
1: but yeah, but not at all, not at all on the idea of Christianity, but on the idea of love and being ambassador of the power of love in everything we do in life.
0: You spoke a little bit about creating value and you said, you know, we sort of touched on this a few times, but what does what does true value look like when you've accomplished your mission successfully? What does true value look like for a customer? Because somebody who looks at Pepsi, I think that Pepsi is trying to innovate and trying to do things maybe differently. But ultimately, people still look at it as a company. It's very hard to remove. Uh, probably the the stigma of big company, big corporation, right? So how does a company like PepsiCo create true value and start to move the needle on what the perception of a company actually is?
1: Look, uh, the beauty of these big corporations and could be also the track in some situations is the scale that they have and their ability to have an impact to reach as many people as possible. So let's say that value for the society is to drive a more sustainable ecosystem. Let's say the value for the society is to have a portfolio of products, uh, snacks and food and beverage that we eat every day that is more permissible, that is healthier for us, Uh, and so on and so forth. Let's say there are a variety of different values. I just mentioned a couple. Uh, When you work for companies of this scale, if the company allow you, empower you, to drive certain things in the right direction, then the impact is huge the scale, because of the scale of the organization. So the F, you know the results that we're doing in the world of sustainability is exponentially bigger, but we're talking about thousands of times bigger than anything I could have done with my own startup or with a small company. Even though eventually is less visible, uh, just the acquisition of SodaStream as an example and. The amount of bottles of plastic that we're removing from the environment from now until 2025 is mind-blowing. And and, and so what is value for this society? I think there is absolute value, and this is where we want to go, is the light up is a totally sustainable kind of society, a totally healthy society, a happy society, a society where you create all kinds of products and brands totally customized for each individual needs and wants. Uh, A society, by the way, beyond corporations, without conflicts between communities, between political parties, between countries. So I think we should look at that kind of world, and I'm putting in also the social Um, opportunities because brands have the possibility to somehow have a purpose that transcends their products and push certain kind of values in the society. That's why I put them in as well and so we need to understand where we want to go and then we need to understand the constraints of today. The infrastructure, the culture of the system we live in, the business models of the society And we need to understand from within how we can change the system at scale as fast as possible. But obviously, you know, it's going to be incremental unless there are things that disrupt the system. Covid, for instance, is for sure one of those elements that all of a sudden disrupt our ecosystem. And for instance, in a matter of one year, made hybrid working a reality. But these companies, the company at PepsiCo was already going in that direction. Flexible working policies were already in place. The way I was managing my teams were already, you know, very aligned to flexible working. But somehow there was the overarching culture within the company, in society, in every other company out there that you needed to be in the office. So even if there was flexibility, still was not accepted by society until a traumatic event accelerated everything. And, and today, thank God, this idea of every working, at least in a company like PepsiCo, is absolutely accepted, is the way we work. And essentially, this kind of disruptive event accelerated something that was already somehow happening in this society. And that's been happening for hundreds of years, probably in a very slow way, because these entities are very slow to evolve. The amount of hours we were working uh, a century ago is much higher than the amount of hours we work today. Uh, The place of work is different today, once again, from uh, the past. And probably we are moving towards a future. It could be in 20 years, in 50 years, in 100 years, where people will work less, traditional kind of work. And we use part of their time in other activities that can drive their happiness, that can really uh, help them focusing on the three dimensions of happiness that I talk about also in the book, is the way I close the book. The first one is, Yourself, your self-realization, self-expression. And again, the job is for sure a big element, a big component of it, if you have a job. But it could be many other things. The second dimension is the people surrounding you, your family, your friends, your close one. And it is an exchange of love. It's the love you give and then you get it back. You don't give love to get it back, just to be clear, but you get it back if the people you are giving love to are your friends and your family. The third dimension is something that is bigger than you, transcends yourself. Is a cause, is a purpose you have in life. And again, it could be, I don't know, charity work that you do. Or it could be, you know, in the case of your job, something bigger than you and your company that you're trying to drive. You know, that idea of me driving kindness, happiness, and the role of designing society to create value for the world is an example of purpose applied to what I do at work. So this hybrid model of working is giving us the possibility to invest in our happiness because work is a component of it. And you should find a way to apply those three dimensions to your work. But obviously, especially the second and the third dimension, there is so much space outside of work for you to apply them. And if you instead sacrifice your entire life just for work, this society is going to create a society of people unhappy, and in fact, if you look at the data, this is the data we see see out there. The level of happiness, depression, anxiety, and not just in corporations, schools, universities. If If we see the suicide rates in universities in the United States, it's mind blowing, it's very high and it shouldn't be like this, but why is it like this? Because of this pressure we put in our kids from very early on, they need to perform, they need to perform, they need to perform. Instead, we should teach them that they need to be happy. That's what we need to do in life. To be happy. Is my parents telling me about, you know, the value of culture and being a nice person as? as driver of something bigger. And then the example that they gave me, leading by example, of their passion for what they were doing, art and writing, essentially they were teaching me that in life, the most important thing is to be happy. And instead, too many times in social media, the media, even families and communities we keep hearing that the goal should be to get rich, wealth, fame. When I hear people talking about how can I get rich, how can I get wealthy, I lose my mind because that shouldn't be the goal also because by the way if that's your goal you child you young adult at the beginning of your journey the most of you will fail you won't achieve that because not everybody can be rich not everybody can be famous it shouldn't be your goal but the real truth is even if you get there even if you get rich even if you get famous if you just when therefore that if you just have that there is a high probability you will be miserable extremely unhappy and in fact the suicide rate even in those categories is very high money and fame don't give you happiness we need to teach people in every kind of context including companies including our families from young adults all the way to mature people that happiness is what we need to drive this should be the filter number one for everything we do, for the way we treat our teams, our families, our friends, our communities, for anything we say and we do in any kind of context and platform.
0: What's up everyone? I just want to take a second, thank the sponsor of today's episode, Brevo. Now, Brevo is a game-changing platform that has the potential to supercharge your business. If you want to expand your customer base, supercharge your revenue, who doesn't, right? Brevo is the go-to platform. Brevo, you used to know it as blue is designed to fully empower businesses to thrive. With Brevo, you have all the tools you need in one easy-to-use platform to cultivate meaningful relationships and drive sustainable, predictable growth. Brevo makes it simple and accessible to create engaging, personalized email campaigns, SMS or WhatsApp messages, stunning landing pages, automated workflows. Whether your goal is customer acquisition, retention, loyalty, Brevo checks all the boxes. It has a toolkit you need to turn the one-time browser into the long-time customer. Beyond just marketing, Brevo is a unified platform. It allows you to streamline your business ops, scheduling meetings, managing tasks and projects, all in one place. It's an ideal growth tool for marketers, SMBs, and sales teams looking for one consolidated toolbox to scale their business. It's trusted by over 500,000 businesses across 180 countries. It includes leaders like Sedexo, Louis Vuitton, Carrefour, eBay, Michelin. They all rely on Brevo's robust technology and extensive integrations to deliver unparalleled customer experiences, reduce costs, drive sales. This is what you got to do. Get started with Brevo for free by clicking our link below or going to brevo.com success and use the promo code success to save 50% on your first three months of the starter and business plan. That's brevo.com slash success, promo code success, and sign up for free. And I think that's so smart. And actually, I think that... You, you came from Europe and you know that it's very different in Europe than it is in North America. North America is very, U.S. is very bad for this. So I think that the, there's nothing positive about COVID at all. But if you can say that there was one positive thing that came from it, it's the fact that everybody's remote. Everybody has hopefully uh, more options as to where they want to work. And I think that that's forcing companies to be more aware of work-life balance and putting employees first, because if I can work from home, I can work from any company. I'm no longer required to stay with a, a, a garbage company that treats me that treats me horribly. I can go work for anybody, and I think that that's actually a good thing because it'll force companies to be better. That's my opinion. I I hope so. I'm praying that's the case.
1: Uh, look, but... I I hope the certain companies, and I look, I I say this. It, with sincerity. PepsiCo, I love the way they're embracing this. I, would, I love the way Ramon Laguarta, the CEO of the company during COVID embraced human centricity. Uh, if I didn't think this, I wouldn't just mention PepsiCo and I would just you know, go on with yeah, my thoughts, yeah. but I, I believe in it strongly. So I hope the companies that companies like PepsiCo, and there are a variety out there, embrace this kind of idea and essentially can push the others that didn't embrace it yet, to go in that direction. The more companies embrace this idea of human-centricity and work-life balance, the more opportunities people will have to get out of the companies that don't and go to companies that instead uh, do this. For sure, is today, in this moment, becoming a wonderful competitive advantage to find the best talents out there. So offering something like this is, is extremely important, but I think it's an ethical Uh, need is is an ethical goal that every company should have. Again, we invented the idea of work thousands of years ago in the prehistoric time to essentially delegate to others the creation of goods, products, services that we needed personally. I could produce X, I couldn't do more than that. So I ask you, my friend, my family to do something else and together we can generate value for our community. And then you scale it up and you started to create the cities, organized around the, the idea of work, and then companies and multinational corporations and brands. But the initial idea was the one of using the practice of work, first of all, as an act of love, creating something for myself and for others because of their needs to reach that happiness. Second, as a tool, to reach that happiness, to fulfill needs from the basic one on the way to the top of the Maslow pyramid, to help others. Then we forgot about this and we substitute the act of love and the interest of other human beings that you are serving through your products with the economic interest, with the financial interest, with the extraction of as much profit as possible out of the system. And and we transform work in a driver of that economic profit, and many people became cog in this machine. Mm-hmm. And it's time we rebalance all of this and we really understand that work is a platform to reach happiness. And when I talk about people in love with people, that means that you need to think about your company, your business as a platform to love other people. So to create products and brands and experiences that are really meaningful to them. They're really adding value to them. And then the first people, people in love, you need to think about your companies as entities that are there to make people happy, including their employees, including the people working in those organizations. And again, I'm seeing this happening. I'm seeing no matter the ecosystem we are in, no matter, you know, how society is organized, I see the conscious effort of companies to try to change things and the progresses is that we're doing. And so I'm just positive also because if I look at the new generations, especially if I look at the new generations, these are people that are growing up without the idea of boundaries and a state against the other, a country against the, the other country. Uh, they're growing up with the idea uh, that, racism is not a good thing that you know we should be diverse simply because well when you go in the metaverse and you meet people they are from everywhere from all around the world in fact if you grow in a city like new york or in a metropolis where you have a, you're exposed to people different than you it's more difficult to be racist to hate diversity. Simply because you understand that those people, no matter the color of their skin, their gender, their political orientation, their sexual preferences, they're like you. They're exactly like you. We're all the same and all different in the meantime. Mm -hmm. Who are the people that are afraid of diversity? The people that are not exposed enough to the kind of diversity. And so they are afraid of something that they don't know. And instead of opening their mind and try to get out of their comfort zone and embrace something that is different, They fear it and they want to push it away. And then, unfortunately, sometimes some people leverage that fear to amplify that hate even more and channel it in wrong directions. But probably the same people that are so racist, if they were educated in a different way, if they were raised in connection with people that are different from them, They will think in a different way. And so my hope is that those kids that eventually are not exposed physically to diversity of culture because they live in a remote place where there is not enough interaction with people different than you, because of the digital world, will be more exposed to that kind of diversity. So that in 30 years' time, when they will be the leaders of the world, when they will be the leaders of companies, diversity will be just a no-brainer is part mm-hmm. of who we are, is the society we live in, and mostly is the richness of who we are as human beings.
0: I love that. Um, I want to ask one more question. I, I, I didn't really want to pivot from this conversation, but there's one more point that I need to take out from the book, and, and I think it's very valuable for people that are listening. Um, design thinking, it's a success in some companies, but it isn't in others. So, if you're a business leader listening to this now, and you've listened to everything you've spoken about um, in terms of how to bring design and how to properly understand design and how to apply it to innovation and human centricity, um, why is it not working in some organizations? What do you see as the biggest red flag?
1: Look, this is so important because at a certain point, a variety of different agencies and consultants and leaders were able to finally Uh, bring the attention of the world to this new methodology called design thinking. And so a lot of companies got really excited by this. They were like, oh, we need to invest in it. And and, and the mistake that many of these companies made was to think that in design thinking as a methodology, there was the solution. So here they are and they bring in designers or design consultants, often not even designers in house, just consultants. And they start to use design thinking as a tool. The double diamond, you know, the, the diverging phase of ideation, the converging phase of testing and learning, and then you diverge again and converge again. So the tool, the design thinking tool. And they didn't realize that the main difference was not driven by the tool. The tool is like a brush. Put a brush in the hands of Picasso, or put a brush in the hands of your tax accountant, and probably the results will be very different, unless your tax accountant is the reincarnation of Picasso. So it was. <laughs> is
0: that your Alexa? Picasso, the reincarnation of
1: Picasso, talking to me right now. Thank you. Stop Siri. No, I don't know. She's still talking, and and so. Companies spend so much time often in defining the best brush with the right bristle and the right material, and they spend millions of dollars with consultants to define the brush. And they they think that with the brush, they will create the best painting. And when they don't get the best painting, they blame the brush. And they get pissed over the brush, brush, why you didn't create what Picasso was able to do. This is what happened to design thinking in many situations where they introduced the right methodologies, but they didn't have the right thinkers. And by the way, the Zen thinking should remind us that the thinking part is the key component of that, and that's why years ago I came up with this list of the characteristics of the unicorns, you know, the ability to observe reality in a unique way with extreme curiosity, the ability to extract learnings in a certain way, the ability to prototype with courage to push things against Roblox, to change the game within an organization, to bring others with you with empathy, not to be arrogant, both in your observation of reality and admit that you don't know certain things, but also in the way you interact with other functions, design, with marketing, with R&D, and so on and so forth, a series of other characteristics that make all the difference of the world between successful ideas and non-successful ideas, between generating the right insights, translating them in the right products, and the ability to take them to market in a successful way, and not. Same tool, same brush, you can create the masterpiece of Picasso, you can create a scribble of somebody that doesn't have that kind of talent. And by the way, is a natural talent, but it's also a talent nurtured by education, by practice and maintenance.
0: I love that. Okay. Um, I'm going to I'm going to ask one final question to close it out. But before before we close this out, uh, any last thoughts that you want to leave with the audience? And also, most importantly, um, where do they connect with you on social media? Where do they go buy your book? Um, Any anything else that you want to leave with us?
1: Well, you can follow me in Instagram and in LinkedIn, Mauro Porcini. Uh, There is not many other Mauro Porcini, so you'll find (laughs) me pretty easily. And I post all the time, every day. So I'm very active there. The book, you can find it online, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, all the
0: usual stuff. The human side of innovation. Yeah, so anywhere. Okay, perfect.
1: And and the message, I, I really think that if we focus everything we do on this idea of human beings, we can really create an amazing value for our companies all the business value I'm talking about should be though just the reason why we, the people around us are gonna do it but it shouldn't be the reason to drive us the reason that drive us should be the fact that we need to do it because our society needs it because if we invest in the human being in that way, we can build a better world, a more sustainable planet and a better society for all of us to live in. That should be really the driver of everything.
0: Um, Okay. So last question. I ask everyone this. You've had an incredible career, now chief design officer at PepsiCo. Um, What does success mean for you in your life, in your career?
1: Being happy, being happy, being happy and never you know, you may be happy at a certain point in your life. I'm so happy. I just had my daughter. She's five months old. Congratulations. Uh, wonderful family. Thank you. I'm happy with what I'm doing in this company. I have a purpose in life. I have the right work-life balance. But happiness, you know, can be there in a moment. I can disappear in the future. So happiness is a work. You need to keep investing in it. So success for me is to keep this level of happiness or even bigger for the rest of my life.
0: I want to take a second and thank Indeed. They're a huge sponsor of the Success Story podcast. And as business leaders, we're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all, it's to match with Indeed. Now, if you need to hire, you need Indeed. you need indeed. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite. Now, as a business owner, I always remember when my company hits a growth spurt. It's great, but then you realize that things start to break. Things are taking three times as long. Manual processes start to bury your team in paperwork and admin, and you really don't have one reliable source of data or truth to understand how healthy your business is. If this sounds familiar, you have to know three numbers. 37,000, That's how many businesses have upgraded to NetSuite, the number one cloud financial system, 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years streamlining accounting, inventory, HR, and more for growing companies. And one, because your business truly is one of a kind, NetSuite gives you customized solutions so you can manage everything about your business in one place, from inventory to invoicing, one powerfully efficient system. I love having all of my data in one spot NetSuite allows me to do that. It gives me the big picture so I can make smarter decisions. And they turn complex financials into understandable, actionable insights. Right now, you can get NetSuite's popular KPI checklist for free to help improve your business. It's designed to help you boost performance across key areas of your business. Go to netsuite.com slash clary to download the checklist and see how one complete system can transform your growth. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Get more control in your business with NetSuite. Just a quick question. Have you ever had one of those oh no moments when you realize that you accidentally deleted a huge file or worse, your whole computer dies? I know I have. It's happened to me a lot, but don't sweat it. The sponsor of today's episode, Backblaze, they have your back. It is unlimited backups for all your Macs, your PCs, or even your whole company, and it's really affordable. They set up that link for all Success Story podcast listeners. That is a no-risk free trial at backblaze.com slash story. Seriously, back up your stuff. slash /success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to slash success and enter code success at checkout. J O I N D E L E T E M E.com/success. I want to thank Belay for sponsoring today's episode. They provide solutions that all of us need. They help us get back more of our time because time is the most precious resource. A lot of you listening